Welcome back to The Lock-In. We've made it to episode 10. So I think that's the point where we stop making reference to the fact that we made it to a certain episode and we just kick on. Dara, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I think it gets a bit pathetic. Otherwise, we can't be going. <laughs> and it's episode number 23. They kept us on the air. <laughs> the ten, first 10 numbers are all significant, but once you get past 10, it's all the same. I mean, I, I heard about some African tribe once. They had just... Um, five numbers one two three four and lots so uh, i think for podcasts it's 10 is probably the cut off i like it i like it well without further ado i want to welcome to this show he has been on the chip race before he is the fourth place finisher in the wpt germany opener he is the unibet poker commentator he's a run at once commentator he's a wsop europe commentator he is let me check my notes here he is the gto commentator it is our good friend henry kilban henry welcome to the show uh, thanks so much for having me. I feel like it's going to be uh, a lot of fun. <laughs> just, it could be career-ending for all of us, Henry. It could be. I was trying not to laugh at Dara's African tribe number reference there, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to try and keep it, keep myself sane for this one. That's the idea of this show, that it just always puts both the hosts and the guests on that knife edge between ending their careers or their careers potentially peaking. It should just well, be somewhere there. Yeah, I, I've got, got a feeling that we'll, we'll be all right. But congrats on making it to episode 10, by the way. I'm surprised you guys haven't been cancelled already. I mean, getting me in for episode 10 as well. Things must be... Uh, must be yeah, it must be going well. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, Henry, I do want to talk to you about the lock-in concept. It's all about being stuck in your house, being locked in. You really don't deserve to be on this show. You've been the most travelled person I know in the last five months. You've been all over the fucking world and back. What's going on? How did you do COVID or not do COVID? Well, you sound like James Dempsey. That's exactly what he's been saying on some of the streams. Just like Henry, for, for Henry, COVID doesn't exist. But no, it was actually a pretty uh, real ordeal. If you uh, remember back in Dublin in February for the for the last Unibet Open, I was in You're my hotel room. In, huh? You were patient zero. I was patient zero, man. Like, I... I I had I had COVID and I had Kasha running around on the phone to doctors for me. I wasn't allowed to leave my hotel room for like a day and a half. And then um, apparently I'd had it for like 10 days. And by the time I got around to seeing the doctors, I'd recovered and everything. So, yeah, it was a pretty... <laughs> <laughs> he came downstairs in the Burlington. I gave it to the rest of us. Wow, it's Whoa. amazing. I mean, yeah, I mean, Cheltenham got the blame here in Ireland for being thing that kickstarted but turns out it's actually uh henry in in the uh in the bonnington wow yeah apparently man apparently but i, I remember uh like i flew from dublin to america straight after that event and the when i left like when i got on the plane there had been one one case in all of america and by the time i'd landed it uh, <laughs> jumped up it jumped up to eight and now fast forward five months and I don't even know what the, the official figures are anymore. But yeah, I don't know. Maybe I was patient zero. Yeah, if this was a more high-tech show, we could probably put up a, a, a world map linking uh, the places you've been and where, where the hotspots then were for COVID. You might actually be the, the, the patient zero. Maybe. Maybe, but I just want to like go on the record and defend myself a little bit here, right? Before I get like absolutely slammed for traveling. I was locked down in America for for like four weeks, and then I was locked down in the UK for two months. So, yeah, don't, don't want anyone coming after me saying I've been spreading it. I, I hate to push back, but you just said I was locked down in America for four weeks, and then I travelled to the UK. That's not that's like not what lock in is. Well, 
I had to travel to the. Convenience. I had to stay in that weekend. I remember that weekend. They wouldn't let me leave. <laughs> I wasn't exactly going to the UK on an absolute jolly. I was sleeping on my mum and dad's couch for two months because I had nowhere to stay. I couldn't get home to Malta. You guys, you know, kicked me out, kicked me off the island. So I only wish we'd left that rule in place and not let any of the English in. It's the reason we've got a bloody spike in cases now. <laughs> Well, you you, you, blame, you blame the English for everything, but let's be real. It was probably that it was probably that rave at the Radisson that did it. So. Probably was. Anyway, joking aside, I was a little bit worried when I saw that live poker had returned to certain parts of the world, namely mm. Rosvedov. Rosvedov had a big Germany uh, festival. I know uh, it's there, right there on the border between Germany and Czech Republic. A lot of people played that. Uh, you told me this number off camera there yesterday when we we met for a pint. And uh, I was actually shocked. I didn't even realize it was this big a number. One, you went and commentated it. So a tacit endorsement of that event at the very least from you. But what sort of measures were taken to keep people safe? I think a lot of poker players out there listening to this show are wondering what it's going to be like when they do eventually go back to a casino. Well, it was was a really weird experience, right? Because it had been locked down for, I want to say, the better part of four months. and they, there were talks about it being closed down all the way to WSOP Europe so that, you know, there was a safer environment. And then I'm on Facebook and it's I'm looking at, like, pictures of the German poker days or whatever it was at King's. I'm like, 2,800 entries, I think. It was 2,300 or 2,800. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Something, like, ridiculous like that. And I looked at you know the, the the figures in the czech republic i looked at the figures in germany and they had been like slowly um easing off of the lockdown like the whole lockdown situation because they had recorded good numbers so i believe the first month was masks for everyone as well as temperature checks so i was expecting the same thing when i got there and then i got there and it was just like oh well covid just doesn't exist apparently anymore like it's yeah just like walk through the hotel lobby um you know like hey i'm here to do the commentary yep just go through kind of thing i was like okay no temperature check no masks or anything uh, everything seems to be like back to normal and it it doesn't look like there's actually been any like spiking cases or anything so it's it's a weird one because you would think that people would not be rushing to go back to live poker but then you look at what's going on in America as soon as Vegas opened up a couple of card rooms and all of a sudden everyone's like a six max cash game rig. So I don't know, man. I think every, after everyone being locked down for so long, they're just like chomping at the bit to get back on the live felt. And yeah, I mean, King's just uh, seizing the opportunity. Well, Dara, turning to you on this one, obviously we've sort of made our own personal pledges to be super careful with this kind of stuff. We probably aren't going to travel at all this year. Unibet are... Uh, the brand who, who sponsor this show and sponsor us um, have decided to have no events in, in 2020. And I imagine they might even extend that into 2021 if what we're all expecting now, which is this resurgent spike, maybe even becoming or turning into an early second wave. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, um, I think th- that seems to be the responsible thing. It seems to be one of those situations where it won't really be, cl- be, be gone until it's gone everywhere because as soon as you have hotspots anywhere and you and people can travel to and from those hotspots then it's just going to keep spreading and respreading uh, i mean again I'm, I'm no um virologist but there's also question marks over whether having had uh covid19 gives you long-term immunity so that could obviously make any um second wave e- even worse 
It's an interesting one with live poker because you would think that live poker is one of the worst things. I mean, people are handing po- chips and cards and even if there are measures put in place, um, it's still not a very good, uh, or rather it is a very good atmosphere for a virus to spread. Yet we don't seem to have any clear evidence that there has been a big spike due to any single live poker event. So um, I, I think it comes down to what people want. Personally, I don't really want to play live poker until this is much more under control than it is now. Um, but I understand that some that other people are taking a slightly different attitude. They're, they're, they're so keen to get back to live poker. That they're, it's, it's almost like I'll take whatever risks uh, there are. Um, <clears throat> it seems a little bit short-sighted to me because... I've heard people express the opinion, for example, that unless they have underlying health conditions or they're past a certain age, that they're not really concerned about getting it. Um, but first of all, you can obviously spread it. And secondly, I mean, the, it reduces your risks of uh, fatality or serious after effects, but it doesn't completely remove them. I mean, there are cases of perfectly healthy 18-year-olds, for example, who have died. Um, so it just seems like a negative free roll to me in, in the current environment. Yeah, it's a good way of describing it. Henry, I want to touch on some of your commentary work uh, in the last while. Obviously, you've done the thing that a lot of people have done, which is segue with the live brands into the online versions of those products. That means WPT, like we mentioned, um, but also probably the thing you piggyback nicely for notoriety because it was a huge thing in the poker world there only a few months ago was the Veni Vidi Galfon challenge uh, incredible obviously we, we covered it on the show just a, an extraordinary comeback I know for a fact that Phil was really close to quitting and didn't and then obviously made the most extraordinary comeback to eventually take it down like r- right down the home straight it could have gone either way as well so not just the 800k swing back the other way but also just locking it up right down the 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 back straight which was incredible what was that experience like for you and and before you answer that question i want to quote you something which you have tweeted uh, which i assume is very relevant so it might be a good leaping off point for you you said phil has given us the opportunity to look into the mind of what it really takes to make it in the current poker climate and I'm not talking about the stakes he's playing. I'm referring to the gorilla mindset the man has and the mindset of a lot of poker players and the mindset, I'm sorry, that a lot, a lot of poker players lack, myself included, both at the tables and away from them. So, you know, with that in mind. Yeah, I mean, firstly, yeah, greatest comeback of the last decade in, in the poker world. It was uh, just an absolute privilege to, to be part of something like that. Um, but yeah, just to talk, like, touch on that gorilla mindset, I think for me personally, that comeback just made me really realize how, how important it is to work on areas of your life out, like, away from the poker table. Just having a really good balance um, in like relationships, friendships, activities, just everything you do. And Phil is just, yeah, he just has this gorilla mindset. And I, I was like for so long just focused on putting in as much volume as possible and not really caring where, you know, my head was at when I was grinding, whether I'd been influenced by, you know, out, outside circumstances. And he just kind of proved that taking a break and just being honest with yourself and just going away and, you know, spending time with the family like he did rather than just to keep pushing against Fenny is, is so important. Um, and I think that's something that a lot of 
a lot of us are, are guilty of is, you know, we have like big losing sessions or we're on a downswing and we just keep going after it and after it because we just think, well, you know, I know that I'm a winning player long term. Um, you know, it's just, it's just a matter of time before the variance like turns around. And, you know, sometimes you just need to take a break. And I, I did that last year. I just did that now. I took two months off because I was just burnt out from doing like too much commentary whilst trying to grind at the same time. Um, and it's just really refreshing. And I've, I've come back, I said to you last night, you know, I feel really good about my game at the moment. Uh, I'm playing really well. I'm super positive going into sessions and confident. And it, it makes a massive difference. Just, just stepping away for a couple of weeks or a month and just enjoying life and the benefits of being a professional poker player and, you know, stuff that we get to enjoy, the financial freedom and, you know, just enjoying life and i think a lot of people uh yeah don't do that well without teeing you up Dara, to blow spoke up henry's ass here uh, we've <laughs> known henry since the beginning of his commentary career uh, in fact I, I like to say that we plucked him from the mean streets of bratislava several years ago and helped him become the man he is that is obviously taking way too much credit but what do you remember about henry of a couple of years ago and sort of how have you observed his ascendance in this industry really yeah, well, the, the 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 first time I even heard of Henry was in, in Bratislava, as you said, and and you came to me and you said, I don't know who they are, but there's two Cockney Barrow boys who appear to be doing commentary on this thing. I have no idea where they come from, but <laughs> or where they came from, but uh, they do at least seem to know something about poker, and they're keen on the chip race. So I obviously like them, uh, <laughs> uh, and and that was that was my first warning uh, about Henry. Uh, Henry pretty much did fit the. <laughs> With the, the description of a guy who you might expect to see selling oranges on the, from a street store. <laughs> Where the but, fuck did that come from? Right? <laughs> what? But very, very enthusiastic. Um, also very <laughs> respectful, which which we both appreciated, I think. And ha- then listen back to his commentary, and his commentary was really, really good, really polished for such a young guy. So Henry was immediately on my radar as someone that I thought uh, was going places, would make a great commentator. So I don't remember the exact timeline, but I do remember we recommended him for the Unibet Open gig. And then I got asked to recommend two people for WSAP Europe and uh, recommended him and my good friend Garrett James and they both did a great job as well so whenever you're asked for something like that it's a little bit of a negative free roll for the person doing the recommendation because you're not going to get any real credit from the people if you give them somebody good but if you give them somebody bad they'll remember for the rest of their life (laughs) black mark against you so it was very important to me that I recommend somebody that I trusted and um, Henry uh, despite his barrow boy (laughs) accent fitted out Well, to be fair, I've always given you guys credit. Like any time I've got on, you know, on the record. Uh, but yeah, I, I remember getting that phone call when you messaging me. I was at the airport in, I think I was coming back from Bratislava, actually flying back to Tallinn. It's like, oh, are you interested in doing WSOP uh, commentary for the entire series? I was like, sorry, have you got the wrong number? Kind of thing. Like, <laughs> I've, I've only done like one big event, and that was the the Unipet Open in Bucharest in 2018. And yeah, it was a pretty surreal moment. Yeah, well, you did such a good job with that, to be honest. And, and, and to second what Dara said there, there aren't too many people who come into this industry. I know you bank yourself as a pretty good poker player as well, but 
you took as much interest or maybe even more interest in the art of commentary, which immediately impressed mm. me. I think a lot of people kind of think, well, I'm a good poker player. I talk smartly in my study group, so I could kind of bring a bit of that for analysis. I could also, you know, I have a bit of personality. I have good banter in the bar. I could bring a bit of that into the booth. And they sort of see it as like an extension or a secondary thing from their existing persona in poker, where actually you talked about studying Nick Schulman tapes. You talked about, you know, the, the concentration you put into pacing your way you speak, you know, something I could learn from. I'd probably talk way too fast, but you do have a lovely delivery style. And that's not something that just is completely natural. Obviously a little bit of it's a natural thing, but you, you, you do sort of work on the craft. I mean, there's, there's just so many people to learn from in this industry. And the way that the game has changed over the years from, you know, like, 2005 to you know, WPTs and ESPN coverage of the the World Series to what it is now, where so many different events have their own Twitch channels. There's a different there's a different audience for all of these events, and something that I had to learn along the way was, you know, what am I going to bring to the table today? Because there are events where, you know, I know the majority of viewers are crushers. You know, probably infinitely better than me in terms of poker skill, and they're there to watch, you know, hands being broken down, etc. And then you have these like recreational events where you have seven of the nine players at the table. They've got their parents tuning in. They've got their girlfriends, their, their grandparents tuning in. And they don't want to listen about frequencies and board textures and like table dynamics because they don't get it. They just want to, you know, they want to have a bit of fun in the, in the Twitch chat and they want to see whoever it is that they're railing have fun. And that's something that I learned really early on. Um, and I think that is why I've had the success that I've, I've had in commentary so far is because I, I, I know my audience really well, but I am still trying to learn from, you know, the best out there because they're, they're the best for a reason. Shout out Jamie and Nick and Ali, you know, some of these guys that are just showing up week in, week out to cover some of the most prestigious events in the world. And then they get the phone calls because they're the guys that just get the job done. Yeah, I think what you said there about understanding the audience, that's that, that that's kind of crucial. I think a lot of people just really don't get that, particularly people who come in from the poker playing background. They they just think, oh, they want to they hear my brilliant thoughts on, on every hand. But like a lot of the time, the main people who are watching live streams are friends and family of the people on the live stream. And the last thing they want is to hear some snooty commentator ripping apart uh, every play that their their favorite makes and and you see so many people make that mistake it's 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 always incredible to me that people just don't sort of they're not able to zoom out and think well who's actually listening to this it's people who care about these people and uh, mm. how useful is it for me to keep telling them that they're that their boy is playing like a donkey um, yeah I, I another thing which i think you're really good at too is the uh, like most commentary gigs now are two people and you know obviously people like lana and norm are established they've been around for years but you've you basically have to bounce off lots and lots of different people. And I I found this the first time I did commentary with you at Unibet Open. You're really, really good at sort of instantly connecting with the other person and teeing them up and, and, and um, you know, basically making a good partnership rather than just trying to get your own thing across. That said, is there anybody, you don't necessarily have to name names. Is there anybody that you've had difficulties doing that with or... <laughs> getting working with oh man well i, I was i was about to <laughs> yes there obviously have been been people that i've struggled to work with where you know 
you're trying to cue something up, as you said, you know, like teeing it off for them, like bringing them in for something where you, and then you just get like a one word response. And it's, you know, kind of like my dating life. It's a bit of a, it's a bit of a fail. And I'm kind of used to it, you know, I'm kind of used to it, but there are just so many people on the flip side of that, that I've, imagined would be really difficult to work with and then after five minutes we've just gelled and it's just been an absolute blast um but yeah you can get people that are difficult to work with i i assume a lot of it comes down to um the fact that i'm still relatively new or not relatively i am still new in the industry um and it sometimes feels like to to these people that i've I've had like difficulties working with this I'm almost like a burden on them because I'm the nobody I'm the new guy these people are well established that there's like why the fuck have I got to do commentary with Henry Kilbane like who, who the fuck is this guy and I, I get the sense of that and I hope that it changes in the future because you know I, I love doing commentary and you know there's so many people as well that can vouch for me I'll, I'll bring anyone into the booth at a live event you know i have so many people come up to me oh henry i'd really love to do 20 minutes commentary with you can i just like go in and like you just need to remove the ego from you know people just want to have fun and um and it's one of the things that i love about doing these live events as well is that i, I get the opportunity to just make someone's day you know bring in a recreational that, that comes to these events they've qualified through for unibet for for example you know they don't get to play these 1k events all the time and they would love to just, you know, jump onto the stream and give their parents a shout out or something. And if I was, you know, I don't know, a bit more of a tool, I'd just be like, well, no, sorry, who are you? And that's the vibe that I've gotten from a couple of people that I've worked with. Uh, but I'm assuming that's going to change with time. Uh, I hope it does anyway. Well, you are building a, an impressive resume, including which is obviously the, the World Series uh in Europe, which Dara spoke about there, and, uh, and and no doubt similar sort of gigs will be coming up. Speaking of the WSOP, it's obviously on GG at the moment. It's sort of transitioned from the, the WSOP.com platform. They've kind of done their main event. I think it was a 1K. And now it's all sort of Europe, I guess, or the rest of the world are able to play on GG or most of the rest of the world. Dara, you've been playing a decent chunk of events. I think you're playing maybe three, four days a week. I know you've had some caches. Congratulations on them. I know you've had some day twos, which, you know, usually means in the money as well. So congrats on them. But there is a curious feature with GG where they allow you to sell shares, which is a nice feature. It's kind of like uh, in the client staking. But part and parcel of that now is day two staking. And there are some pitfalls that, you know, are out there when it comes to buying action of people in day twos. And yourself and Adam Owen last week put together a fantastic video sort of analyzing the kinds of stacks that you want to watch out for and the kind of situations. Do you, do you want to maybe walk us through the cliffs of that? Sure, yeah. Yeah, I first became aware of this. I, I was obviously aware of the staking on, on GG, and I do think it's a brilliant feature. It's a really good feature because it engages, it allows players to play a little bit higher than they would normally, and it also engages ordinary people who will then rail, and uh, it's, it's, it's a great way of increasing liquidity on the site. Um, give props to GG as well. They don't charge a fee for this. It'd be very easy for them just to slap a 1% or on whatever, but it's a really good uh, thing they do for free because there's no transfers involved. They just automatically, if somebody buys 1% to you, they automatically pay out 1% of whatever you cash to, uh, to that person. Um, they automatically transfer the money from them to you when they buy the 1%. So the whole thing is done automatically. So it's a really, really good feature. The first time I was aware that 
they were selling for day twos was um, I think I was playing one of the multi-flight tournaments, Colossus or Millionaire Maker, I can't remember which. And normally I sell a small amount in the lobby just to give people uh, who are interested a sweat. And I found you, I couldn't actually sell for the day ones of those events, which was, I thought was kind of curious. But the reason was you can play different day ones and bring forward your biggest stack, but then you're allowed to sell for day two. Now, I didn't really think too deeply about it because I, uh, I, I had no real interest in selling for days, day twos, let's say. But Adam contacted me and told me the way that it worked, which is basically they have this uh, um, concept called adjusted stack markup, which basically just means that if you come through with 10 starting stacks, then the baseline uh, for 1% of you is 10 times as much as it would have been at the start. So, it's a, so if it's, at say, a $1,000 tournament, um, which 1% with no markup at the start would be $10. If, you've st- if you wrap up 10 stacks, 10,000 is the, is the new baseline. So it would be $100. Um, and then you're allowed to put um, markup on, uh, potentially on top of that or markdown indeed. Um, I think the ma- which maxes out at two. So you, you could potentially sell your, your 1% for $200 on day two. Now, there's an immediate problem there because anybody who understands ICM knows that 10 starting stacks typically isn't worth 10 buy-ins um, because the more chips you have in your stack, the less uh, each individual chip is worth and the less chips you have, the more they're worth. So Adam was very concerned that people were selling large stacks, uh, selling shares in large stacks and that the buying public, let's say, didn't understand this ICM implication. Um, I think when you talk to a lot of recreational players, they actually their, their intuitive runs counter to what the actual situation is, which they, they think a big stack is great. You know, oh, they'll come in the top places more often. They'll be able to bully on the bully other stacks at different points of the tournament and so on. But actually, <clears throat> when you break it down, they're not. So it, in the video, we sort of went through different scenarios where we looked at somebody, say, who bagged up 30 starting stacks and how much that would actually be worth. Uh, using the ICM calculator. And we found that, you know, it was somewhere between 12 and 26 starting stacks was the actual value of the stack. Um, so somebody even buying with no markup, let's say a 30 stack, uh, a 30 starting stack, which is actually only worth 12, is essentially paying uh, 250% out of the gate, um, which is going to be pretty impossible to overcome. The whole purpose of the video was really just to explain the ICM, that if you buy a piece of a big stack, it won't be worth as much as you think. And if you buy a piece of a small stack, it's probably worth more than you think. Um, So basically, I think our bottom line for both myself and Adam was that this is a great feature, but the public needs to be educated because, you know, um, obviously tournament players have been selling for forever and there's always these debates about markup is is so and so is is Phil Hammond worth 4.8 in a in a turbo that he late regs is any is player x worth even 1.0 in a tournament in which he might be um, minus he there have always been these debates but i think the public is sort of reasonably well educated on that now and they uh, they, they 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 can make reasonably good informed decisions, but this uh, introduces a new element, which is sort of outside their expertise, um, which is ICM awareness. Um, so yeah, the purpose of the whole video was really just to explain as simply as we could what the major points uh, to look f- to consider were. Well, no better man, obviously, Dara O'Carney, a uh, well-known ICM expert, whether that's in satellite strategy, which obviously you've written the book, or it's PKOs, which have a sort of converse uh, implication when it comes to ICM. And he's also written the book. So uh, buyer beware. And thank you, Dara, for putting that video together. Also shout out to Adam Owen, who 
obviously had the idea to do it with you, the right person to, to pick as well, because you need a bit of authority on something like this to, to, to get the message out and to, to make people realise how they might be buying a pretty terrible deal, actually, and players potentially could be taken advantage. So we, we want that to stay all fair and good. We come finally, and I say finally, but this might end up being kind of the longest bit, to, I guess, what you could only describe as maybe the... Um, the, the trio of Negranu stories that have yeah, all... Yeah, you, you, you mentioned there that I made a video with Adam, David. You've been actually making quite a few videos yourself recently. I think every time I wake up, I see something which you've essentially stolen from somebody else's Twitch or YouTube, uh, but take it all the credit for it. It's gone viral with 40,000, 50,000 views on my timeline. Uh, you've become a sort of a chronicler of the, of the poker world. Is that, is that what you're going setting out to be? Well, I, I suppose when some of those early rants took place... Uh, I should explain myself, actually, because I, I guess there are probably people out there who are going, why are you doing this and why are you just presenting it? Because I don't really present it with comment. I sort of just present it in and of itself, maybe with some edits to, to put the relevant bits together, but not usually passing comment because it's, it's sort of for other people's consumption. And I'm interested to amplify whatever happened. Usually I do kind of think it wasn't great um, what happened. And uh, I, I don't mind shining a light on that. But I, I suppose the, the point for me is that I don't think that with all the busyness that people have in the world and all the content there is to consume, people don't really always have the time or energy to go looking for that thing that somebody said apparently on a stream last night. And if that's what the message is, then you end up with a lot of Chinese whispers of people going, oh, what did he say? Oh, no, I heard he said something different or, oh, was it really that bad? And I just sort of felt like, well, if you just put together like a two minute or three minute clip or 30 seconds or whatever it happens to be and post it, then people will at least be able to judge for themselves. They'll have the raw data. They'll have the original file there to look at and they can make a case or make a judgment on whether they think what happened was really that bad or, you know, maybe quite bad. And I just thought that was a useful thing to just do. Um, I, I don't really have any, I, there's no financial um, aspect to getting clicks on uh, Twitter or getting more likes or, or anything like that. It's more to do with just presenting information in the cleanest possible way to people so they can make their own judgments. And you're right, it has kind of taken off as a little subgenre of Twitch videos now at some level, which, um, you know, that is what it is. But I, I suppose these ones in particular this week uh, did involve Negranu and um, one of them involved Jamie and Norman Chad, uh, but also kind of ended up being back about Negranu. I, I suppose maybe take these things one at a time. The first one is Negranu has now sort of accepted a challenge from Doug Polk. Obviously, last time on the show, we, we talked about how that, that video had gone viral. People were really interested in that funny video that Thomas Keeling and Doug put together. And uh, that's sort of parlayed now into Doug getting a heads up game against Negranu. Henry, we spoke about this yesterday and you were very clear to me about just how big a dog Daniel is in this spot. Yeah, I mean, you'd taken you know, on one of the, when he was playing at his peak, one of the best heads up, no limit players in the world. And I don't think in the short space of time that anyone, you know, even some of the greatest minds in poker uh, from the MTT worlds with the teams that they can have around them. I just don't think you're going to have enough time to, uh, to take on, on Doug at, in, in his game, in his own backyard, so to speak. Uh, I think what they put a timeline of like two months. They said they're talking end of September, middle of October, the latest. 
what are you going to do? You're going to call up Fader. You're going to call in some of the best in the world. You're just not going to have enough time, like a month and a half to take on someone that just knows the most intricate parts of the game tree in that for, uh, in that format. And I, I think DNX is, is drawing dead against Doug, especially over 10k hands as well. Yeah, they have talked about being between 10 and 25k hands. Obviously, the fewer hands, the more variance, but really 10k is enough to sort of sort out uh, the wheat from the chaff, shall we say. Daryl, moving away from maybe just the, the grudge match aspect of it and who might win, and I'm sure it's going to get lots of people excited and betting on it and everything else, and it'll probably end up being an entertaining spectacular of some sort in the poker world when it does happen. But what's going on here? Like, essentially there is this history between Doug and Daniel back and forth. And it is a back and forth, by the way, Daniel tried to make it like a, there's no fourth. It is absolutely back and forth. Daniel has said plenty. And Doug has obviously put together, maybe put a bit more creativity and a bit more spice into how he responds and, and certainly makes it more entertaining and, and therefore maybe makes it more palatable for us all to, to watch and laugh along. But is the fact that they've now ended up in a, in a grudge match sort of missing the point that for me, that was the issue is that a lot of the time it's about what Daniel has done off the table it's not whether Daniel's a decent poker player he's clearly one of the great poker resumes of all time no one would question that no one would question he did huge amounts for the game historically and some would say he's still doing lots for the game now I think he's doing a lot for the game I don't think it's all positive anymore but really these issues are all about criticizing his behavior so for me I feel like it's been this sleight of hand by Daniel maybe quite clever in a way is that he's now got people not talking about his bad behavior or at least he he was 5 days ago not talking about his bad behavior and now talking about this great grudge match that it's ended up in. Yeah, I think you touched on it there. I do think this is a very clever move from Daniel to deflect from re- recent criticisms and get people excited about this uh, supposed grudge match. It does feel like we'd flash back in time to about 12 years when all poker arguments were were um, settled by somebody demanding heads up for rolls. <laughs> uh, this is—it's also worth. I mean, somebody said this was this this is like Pacquiao versus Mayweather. Um, but it all—it it that, that was you, in fact. Yeah, but but me, it actually feels more like um, Tyson against Roy Jones Jr. Not <laughs> like. Doug is five years after five years off his peak, and five years is a hell of a lot long time in in poker. Daniel has remained very active, but not in the heads up arena. I wouldn't be as um, dismissive of Daniel's uh, uh, chances as uh, as Henry has been. First of all, I think variance even over a ten k sample uh, gives gives him some sort of chance, and I do think uh, Daniel will prepare as best he can as well. He's a very, very competitive man. Um, he has gotten coaching. He, he, he was one of the first people of his generation to sort of reach out and get coaching on game theory, et cetera, when it, when, when it came up. So I don't think he's, first of all, I don't think he's a total dud uh, heads up. It's obviously not a specialist specialization for him. Um, but yeah, obviously Doug is a very strong favorite. Doug appears, it's, it's, it's a clear win for Doug because he gets uh, very good publicity for his brand and for upswing. And he also gets, in, in, in his own words, the chance to put in decent volume against a weaker opponent. Um, but I think it's also a win for, da- for Daniel because it makes him relevant by being the other, the, the other part of the, uh, of the grudge match. Um, it shows that he is the guy of that generation's who's still sort of competitive with the kids. He has managed expectation very well and, set, and, and pointed out that he is a dog in this. Um, I think he probably wouldn't have accepted this if it hadn't been for he needed somehow to repair damage to his brand. Um, but this is a very 
clever way to do it. And it, it's, it certainly got the poker world to- talking and thinking. Maybe not as much as people on Twitter think, because I've actually spoken to some recreations who literally couldn't give a rat's ass which of them, which of them uh, wins or loses. One of them summed up his attitude to me this morning as, look, they're both assholes, so why should I care uh, who wins? Um, but uh, it's... I mean, it's 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 it does feel very weird in that, as I said at the start, it's basically a throwback to when to when people did this sort of thing. Um, it'll be interesting to see once it get going. I mean, maybe there'll be huge hype around it. Uh, how long does it even take to play ten thousand hands of heads up? How, how many tables are they going to play, etc.? I think it take well based off the Galford challenge when they were averaging like seven hundred and fifty hands a day. The second match against Action Freak, we wrapped that up in 22 days, two right. tabling. Wow. So I think like the most interesting thing for me is that there's hype around it now. Say it starts in two months' time, there'll be a bit of hype around it for the first couple of matches, and then people will just quickly see how boring Heads Up No Limit is <laughs> to watch. And like then again, like you know, towards the end of the the, the session or the ten k hands or whatever it is they put on, then you get a lot of people tuning in for the final session, like we did uh, with Galfon against Venny. But yeah, I think uh, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head that there is obviously variance involved, and Dnex has still been battling with the best in the world, and he, he does have a a great chance, especially over ten k hands. You know, anything can happen. But I th- I think the hype will eventually die down, and. I also want to say on the record that I don't think this match is going to go ahead anyway. Like I would actually book money that it won't happen, but. Wow. That's interesting. And why do you think that would be? I just, I, I think Daniel's going to come up with a way to try and bring in some sort of other game. He's sold it really well that he's the underdog. So it's like a win-win situation for him. Like if he, if he beats Doug, Hmm. he's beaten Goliath. You know, if he loses, he was expected to lose, you know, it was Doug's speciality. And I think he will come along with some some new terms, and the, and and Doug's just going to be like, "No, you already said, you know, we're going to play this kind of format." And he's like, "Well, if you don't agree to my terms, then I'm not going to agree to your terms." And I just I just don't think it's going to I just don't think it's going to go down um, with the way things stand at the moment. Two hundred, four hundred, ten k hands. I I just think he'll he'll back out. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I guess it would be the uh, that'd be almost the perfect scenario for Daniel, where he deflects for the period that he needs deflection, and then when when everybody's forgotten about uh, all the latest stuff, he, he, he quietly forgets about that too. Assuming it did go ahead, if you were a betting man, and I'm pretty sure you are, what odds would you need to, to bet on Negreanu? Uh, I mean, we could. I don't want to be the boring nerd. We could run it through like a variance calculator or something, but I'd probably say he's over 10k hands he probably wins that match like close to 35% of the time um, but I just want him to be drawing dead against Doug just for, <laughs> which is why I, I, I said it but so yeah I, I don't know like 5 five to 1 I guess uh, I'm assuming that's where the, the poker shares line is, is going to be maybe 4 four to 1 but it just over, over it's heads up you're two tabling heads up like there's a lot yeah. of variance involved. Look at look at the Galfon challenge. It's just a prime example of how much variance yeah. there is in that format. Yeah, completely. Yeah, it's. Uh, it, I have a selfish reason for asking that question because it's a lot of recreational players have asked me what the line should be, and I've come in at around 40 percent. I think it's probably somewhere around there. Yeah. Um, Bang on. Yeah. 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 I think I think thirty five forty percent is is the right line. 
Yeah, roughly Trump's chances. So that's, uh, <laughs> um, that's a nice parallel. <laughs> so I, I suppose getting back to an idea that I have about this, and, and Dara, I think you actually tapped in perfectly, which is that, and I, it's something I was thinking about too, which is that if he does manage to weed out of it down the road, he's managed to change the news cycle and that's sort of the objective and that may be accomplished. But then, but then within days, he successfully changes the news cycle. People aren't talking about teeth being in anuses anymore. And suddenly they're talking about, oh, heads up for Rose, going to be amazing. Will one of them win a million off the other, blah, blah, blah. And then Norman Chad, who has consistently been pecking at Daniel's heel about some of his behavior and some of the, the lack of courtesy and the lack of um, grace he's shown on live streams and different things has, you know, he, he, he took to Twitter and he said a couple of things. I want to quote them so I get it right here. He said, there has been no one in poker I have lavished more praise on than Daniel Negreanu on WSOP broadcast podcasts and sports talk radio. He's done it right for so long. So he sort of sets it up there by saying, you know, I'm actually you know, a, a supporter or historically have been a, a big supporter. But he said, but this just isn't right. And then he goes on to say, how is it okay to physically threaten someone during your live stream? You now say that it was tongue in cheek. Then rather than apologize, you give a fuck you statement, which is the reference to his um, first appearance back on the, it wasn't the Twitch streets anymore. He'd been banned from Twitch, but he went on the, the platform. He went on the four platforms, uh, yeah. Facebook live and Instagram live and all the rest of it, Twitter live. And he said, uh, he wore a suit and he was all like, ho, 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 and going to be funny. It was really cringe, to be honest. It wasn't funny at all. And it's just like, it was like watching David Brent in the office kind of stuff. I, I actually felt uncomfortable with how he's not able to deliver anything funny in that spot. And it just seems really lame. But aside from the, that, that, that part of it, it was a fuck you. It was him going, I'm not fucking apologizing. Why should I apologize? I don't apologize to anybody. And he really is that type of personality, to be honest. Norman went on to say, um, this is not doing it right. I really wish someone in his inner circle would say, bro, really, what the fuck here? And then also Lana, or Norm has generally talked about how he doesn't like the bad language. It's not that you're not free to use bad language, but these, this, these comments have been really ugly. In response, Daniel uh, thanked Norman for his constructive criticism and said he's going to be more mindful of his language going forward. No, just kidding. Obviously, he didn't do that. He said, very <laughs> tirade calling Norman a motherfucker and a dumb fuck and all the rest of it. So, yeah, sort of proving, you know, his point really there. Norm sort of uh, pretty much nailing it. And then even the reaction sort of sums it up too, because it's exactly what Norm has been saying. So that was a really ugly incident. I got to say that was just like horrible to see. Norm's a bit of a legend in the game. He's obviously been somebody who carries himself with other professionalism. He mightn't be everyone's cup of tea. The ex-wife jokes mightn't be, feel like totally on the nose anymore or it mightn't be what you like. But those guys are like absolute stalwarts of poker. They brought so much to the game 15 years ago when they started creating coverage. We spoke to Lon uh, in a recent interview on the chip race and just talking about how they really sort of pieced it together, almost created a documentary vibe around the ESPN coverage and then how they've morphed it and changed it, but stayed with the times and brought in analysts. And it's a complicated thing. And it's about bringing poker to a wide American ESPN, not particularly well-educated poker audience and, and, and sort of enthusing people one time a year at the World Series. So to see somebody with his caliber, I this is the thing that gets me, is like, 
okay, he can go after Doug and he can say, well, Doug's just doing it for clicks and he wants upswing to do really well. So he's trying to get attention for himself and he can kind of pitch it like that. And then with us, he can go, you're fucking nobody's in the chip race. Write your stupid blog, O'Carney. Write your stupid blog lap and we don't give, I don't give a fuck. You're nobody. I don't have to listen to you. And then he can go, oh, well, fucking put your teeth in your anus to a troll on the internet who nobody knows who it is and probably is anonymous, frankly, and nobody ever will find out who that person was. So that's all kind of easy in a way, or at least he can kind of deflect from actually addressing the core things that people are saying to him. But it's going to be really hard to do that now with people like Norm, and I'm going to talk about Jamie in a moment as well. People who carry real serious credibility in this industry, mm. people who are proper, well-respected industry professionals who have been colleagues of him, who are people he has worked with and worked alongside and had collaborations with at times. And this carries an awful lot more weight. Yeah, I mean, as you said, like Norm is a, is a bona fide legend, and, and and Norm is actually quite rare in the poker world too. Like we talk about poker journalism, but there's almost no such thing because most of the people who uh, are supposedly poker journalists don't actually have any journalism uh, background. They just came in and sort of started writing about poker, and most poker journalism is actually trade press. Uh, it's it's paid for by the sponsors. They 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 know what they can write about. They know what they're supposed to amplify. It's essentially uh, disguised marketing or advertising. Norm actually has a background in journalism before he came into poker, and it's great to see that he still has those um, those instincts to call something out when he when, when he sees it's 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 wrong. Um, I mean, Daniel has gotten himself into these sort of scrapes in the past, and he's always managed to get them get himself out of them because I think he has a very good uh, PR advisory team around him, which and he always finds some way to deflect. But it's getting to the stage now where there's so many of these coming these things coming one after the other that it's like he's in permanent firefighting mode now, um, and. Also, as you said, the, the the nature of the people that he's taking on now is different from like two anonymous Irish bloggers or uh, two, two two guys who have a podcast that only have six hundred listeners, as uh, as one of his um, mouthpieces famously said once. <laughs> um, to, to to people who, who who genuinely have respect, and I I have noticed on Twitter, I haven't really been following this as closely because, to be honest, this sort of thing really doesn't interest me all that much. Um, I focus very much on my own play the people I coach, um, the pe- people I know, etc. But it, 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 one thing I have noticed is that a lot of people in the past who were huge supporters of Daniel are now, getting the, are now feeling conflicted. They see he's fighting with other people that he likes, that they like. And <clears throat> these other people have credibility. They're not just guys they, don't, they only know from the internet. So, uh, yeah, I think you're right. It, 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 this stuff is sticking more to him now. And... Um, it, it also surprises me because, I mean, given how well his life has gone, he's basically r- rightly regarded as the most successful poker player of all time. He has the best personal brand, the biggest personal brand. He has hundreds of thousands of fans around the world. Uh, he he doesn't really have to do very much to be beloved by the poker public, but at the moment he doesn't even seem to be able to, to come up to that narrow bar. He's He's focusing on very, very small, petty stuff which really should be beneath him. Um, and it's pretty sad to see. I mean, I don't know, as somebody who went through sort of midlife crisis myself, I don't know whether this is his midlife crisis. I don't know whether it's a feeling of just boredom, given how long he's been involved in the game. But it's certainly something he needs to sort of like rethink. I, 
I think part of the problem is because he is so sensitive to criticism. He surrounds himself with people who are afraid to criticize him in any way. Um, so he has this circle of sycophants and yes men uh, and people who are telling him he's brilliant and everybody who criticizes him is, is either a nobody or has an axe to grind. He needs to have some people in his in his circle, as Norman said, who will actually tell him, "Look, dude, this isn't uh, this is really isn't the way for poker's um, primary ambassador to behave." Um, so, I mean, obviously, we've had our own history with Daniel. Uh, I don't want to be the guy who, the, one of the guys who keeps hating on Daniel. Similar to Norm, I would. Um, acknowledge all the great stuff he's done for poker in the past, um, and even still, he he uh, he 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 holds the attention of the uh, poker public, and he gets eyes on poker in ways that other the other players can't. So he has the potential to be an amazing asset to poker. That's, I guess, the tragedy in in this. That if he just went about this the right way, um, he would have a much easier. Uh, uh, time of a much better life but he just seems to be getting bogged down in all these these petty little wars now that's brilliantly put daryl i want to bring henry in for the next part in particular because it then very quickly another quick news cycle change still on the granu the topic um on a couple of days ago the episode of the rake uh, with marley and jamie kerstetter and i know you've worked with both of them henry norman chad came on the show and the subject did drift to Daniel, as it would do on a lot of podcasts these days. He is a kind of a, an item on everyone's shows, I'm sure, when they're putting their uh, schedules together. And Jamie dropped a bombshell. Jamie said something that's obviously she's known for quite a while, maybe didn't want to say before now, has decided now is the right time to say it, but basically made the point that, you know, and again, I want to kind of get it absolutely correct here, that he had her removed from a commentary gig she was already signed up for. Now, it's very important to make that distinction because immediately Negranu strawmanned what she had said, potentially having not gone through it in great detail. So maybe he'll revise that. But he immediately strawmanned it and said, this is me offering my opinion on who's a good commentator. And if someone asks me and I tell them Nick Shulman's better than Jamie, Jamie, I don't like her. That's my prerogative. I have an opinion. I want to just have my opinion. And obviously, I don't think any right-minded person would disagree with that. If you're asked your opinion, you give it honestly. And if he's in a position of influence in his company or whatever he is, then that's what he's probably going to say if that's what he really thinks. But there's a big difference between offering an opinion on something that they are in decision mode for and going back to them on a decision that they've already made and said, reverse that, change that, I don't want that. I don't want that person representing us. I don't want that person, you know, commentating on a brand I'm attached to. I don't want to work with her. However, it, I, I don't know. I'm speculating how that kind of played out a little bit. But that's a very big distinction that needs to be made here um, on what Jamie is very clearly saying and how Daniel's first line of defense has gone up against that. Yeah, I mean, imagine having an ego so fragile that you just shut down one of the brightest fucking minds in the industry like jamie kirster is just i've just got the utmost respect for her you know the commentary that i've done with her in the past i absolutely love working with her you know every time we've worked together it's kind of like having that annoying older sister in the booth with me that's always like <laughs> needling me and putting me in my place and it's just so much fun and it's <laughs> so sad to see that even at that level this is the thing that worries me is Jamie is like at a place that I could only hope to one day get to, you know, in terms of commentary. 
And it's really worrying for me because I have always felt like with certain people, you do have to almost like tiptoe around eggshells because if you say the wrong thing to the in front of the wrong person or, or if they don't like you for whatever reason, or if you're associated even like... Um, even just by like having mutual friends with this person that like if they don't like the people that you're associated with, it could jeopardize potential work for you. He's and talking it, about us there, Dara. I'm pretty sure he's talking about us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, no, you know, I mean, maybe it's... Me. He, was, he wasn't quite fulsome enough in his praise of how we, we struck him from the main streets of Bratislava. I think this might be his last Yeah, game. maybe, man. Uh, maybe it's career over. But just, just to go back to like Daniel, a lot of people in my generation... Um, the guy was a fucking hero. I remember being, you know, 15, 14, watching Poker After Dark, Tom Dwan, Phil Ivey, all of those guys. The guy was one of the reasons a lot of us got into poker. And it just goes back to like that Batman quote where you either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. And he just really has. Like, I don't know why he's going after people like this. How can you go after Norman Chad? Like, the guy's a fucking legend. And it just shows that there's no one, no one's safe. Like, if, you, if you're going to go after someone like that, if you're going to go after, like, Jamie, you know, listen, if I ever go after Nick Shulman or Ali Najad, you have the right to fucking cancel me. Like, in fact, I expect it. If I ever disrespect people that have done so much for me personally, like Norman has for, for Daniel with the old broadcasts, then just put me on blast, cancel me. You know, I don't expect to ever get a gig again because it's just straight up disrespectful. And that's my two cents on it. Very, very well said, Henry. I appreciate that. We're going to leave it there. It's been really good fun catching up with you, Henry. I'm happy to see you back on the island. We actually managed to, <laughs> in person, go for a pint last night. Um, yeah, I, 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 down again. I see you're wearing the same shirt from last night, mate. The <laughs> Vivian Westwood. You haven't even changed it. Guys, he was wearing that until 2 o'clock this morning, and I'm assuming he just jumped straight into bed and woke up with it on, so, you know. I knew, yeah. I knew you were going to spot that. I, uh, I, when you've been so common, you've been like, oh, look at you with the Vivian look Westwood. Look at you with the Vivian you Westwood. You patch. I was like, I like, I'm a young person. I'm going to take that, and I'm going to just wear this shirt now all week. I, I don't, I don't blame you. I don't blame you, mate. <laughs> um, no, sincerely, it's great to see you back on the rock here and, uh, and and hopefully we'll catch up for lots of points over the next few weeks although you you are one of those young people who threatens to do dry novembers and dry augusts or whatever this nonsense is as well and you're complaining about a hangover and i know for a fact you drank about a third of what i mean I it's, ter- it's terrible when people have positions of power and influence in the industry and they force people to come out to drink <laughs> <laughs> it seems like a real abuse of power actually it is it is especially when he knew as well that i'm, I'm doing dry august and six days He's like, come on, Henry, come out for a drink. You know, we need to catch yeah. up. And yeah, but I, I know I know David from time to time when I tell him that when he first came back to Ireland in the poker world, he had literally no friends, but he, but he had literally no, no friends. poker friends. Please it's good to see he still has no friends, but at least he has people he can, <laughs> he can pressure into drinking with him. That's it. That's it. Okay, on that note, guys, thank you so Dara <laughs> O'Carney, brilliant as usual. Thank you so much. Henry Kilban, star in the making. We appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me.